Good morning, everybody. It is Monday, April 27th. Here we are uh, at the beginning of a new week. I'm trying to pull out and I'm trying to not hit any car right now, which is not difficult because I did a very poor job of parking some vehicles here. In any case, um, we are looking at, we've finished our series on the basics, and I want to give just kind of one more topic uh, that kind of it's not a basic topic, but it is something that I think is kind of fundamental in my own opinion because it's something that's very uh, integrated through all of Scripture. And it is uh, pretty fundamental to our understanding, especially of the end. Again, I'm not going to get into a whole lot of eschatological, if you know what that means. It means talking about end times, uh, end times study here, or timelines, or which of the options are best, but I'm going to talk about this general idea, because um, it, it is something that goes throughout scripture, and I think it's something that we can all dial into, especially in the days and times we're living in right now. <clears throat> all right, the topic is the day of the Lord. Now, if I was to ask you, if you're a Christian, or if you're thinking about becoming a Christian, or if you run into many Christians, you've probably heard a lot about the topic or the item or the concept of being saved. Now, my guess is if you walked up to 90% of Christians and you said, what are you saved from? They would probably have to pause for a second and think, well, I guess I'm saved from hell. Uh, I would encourage you, if that is your response, please tell me, where does it say that in the Bible? Yes, it really doesn't, as far as I can tell. I've looked and searched up and down. It really doesn't come in there. But um, I think there are some other basic things that the Bible is pretty clear about what we're saved from without getting into a whole topic about this. Uh, biblically speaking, there's kind of three general, general things we are saved from. One is being imminent danger, either through enemies, through natural disaster, through sickness, through some sort of imminent danger that's going to end up with, end up killing me, I can be saved from those things and I can be alive at this very moment. And the fact that God brought me through those imminent dangers and I'm still here is proof of his salvation. The other thing, which is uh, pretty clear also on the same thing, again, death. That's, that's the other thing we can be saved from. Again, we're talking about imminent danger enemies, but the other thing we can be saved from is death, and that's very biblical and true, both within Old and New Testaments. However, the last thing, which is very, very clear, and this is a passage that gets repeated both within the Old and New Testaments, is that we are saved from the day of the Lord. <clears throat> so, this begs the question, if we're going to be saved from the day of the Lord. What is the day of the Lord? So, where does this come up about being saved from the day of the Lord? If you look at the Old Testament prophet Joel, it's a very short book. You can read it about 10 minutes. Um, a lot about locusts, i.e. grasshoppers, and they might be symbolic. They might be real. They might be both. And I kind of think that's probably the case. Uh, there's this there's this little part in it where he says, And after these things, in those days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and old men will see visions, and young men will have dreams. Well, 
this whole thing about the Spirit being poured out in all flesh, when Pentecost comes, Peter picks up and cites this exact same passage from Joel. It says, hey, guess what? Ta-da! Here we are. We are fulfilling this prophecy that's happened there. And even then he talks about how everyone will be saved from that day. Right there in Joel, and Peter goes along with the same thing, being saved from the day of the Lord. So it again begs the question, what is this day of the Lord? All right. Here's the thing. Let's, let me start with uh, Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, he is about to begin his ministry. He shows up in the synagogue. He reads from the book of Isaiah, from Isaiah 61. And, and uh, yeah, I apologize for saying, yes, definitely, definitely Isaiah 61. And so he's reading from the book of Isaiah. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to pour out the joy of oil instead of... Uh, the oil of joy instead of the, um, the, oh, the something of sadness, uh, the cloak of, uh, whatever, instead of the, uh, cloak of mourning. So he's, he's trading things out. I'm sorry, I don't have that memorized. Forgive me. He's trading these things out. And so he's giving these good things because this is the year of favor of our God. And then he stops. However, the passage in Isaiah 61 continues and says that, there is the day of wrath of our Lord. So there's a year of favor. There's a long period of time at the very basis, and then there's a short period of time where there is a point of God's wrath. Now, i got to take a pause here because there's a lot of people out there that it bothers us with the fact that God could get angry. We very much like that God is love. We very much like that God shows us mercy and grace and forgiveness. But the fact that God has wrath is kind of this, let's talk about that next week and the week after the week after the week after and then we'll never talk about it. Because it kind of bothers us. However, this is a character trait of God. He does have wrath. Now, if you live in such a perfect world that you think that there's no reason for anyone to have wrath, I envy you. I don't know where you're living. <laughs> you must live in some very isolated and perfect world where nothing ever goes wrong, no injustice is ever committed, and everything in your perspective looks like it's right. And I hate to burst your bubble, but it's not. This world is messed up, to put it lightly. There are many, many, many injustices. There are people who suffer day in, day out, the entire length of their lives for absolutely no reason, while other people who have done iniquities, who have done really bad things, they get to live in complete comfort and luxury. That is not right. That is not just. That is not how things are supposed to be. And God knows that. There will come a time, like I talked about last week in the judgment, where all things will be judged, whether we have been good, whether we have not, whether whether we have done what God has wanted us to do, or whether we have done what He has not wanted us to do, us to do, whether we have been inactive when He calls us to action, or whether we have been active when He calls us to be still. Everything is going to be judged. All the use of all of our resources, of all of our abilities, our talents, all that we are, our words, actions. Everything is going to be judged. God's going to lay clear, hey, this is what was good. This is what was bad, according to him, because he is the last 
judge upon all of it. That's going to be the role of Jesus at that final judgment. And then based on that, we're going to get either rewarded um, or we're not going to have rewards based on that. And like I said, the final thing depends if our, um, our names are written in the book of life. However, before all of this, or perhaps even as part of this, there's going to be this day of God's wrath that he's going to pour out and it's not going to be a good time. The day of the Lord is not a yay moment. No. As it says in Amos, referring to this day of the Lord, he says, woe to you who seek the day of the Lord. Woe to you who wait with open arms to say, hey, yes, we want the day of the Lord to come. Trust me, you do not want the day of the Lord to come. It's going to be like someone running away from a bear and they hide in a cave and they get bit by a snake. Or they, they flee from the lion and then they're torn apart by a hyena or something like that. All that to say, there's going to be a very, very, very bad time for all of humanity, and it's coming, and it's called the Day of the Lord. <clears throat> now, again, reaching to that theme of why, God is in every way correct and right to be, and justified to have wrath. Because, again, we've been messing things up. <laughs> we have not been doing good. And he is justified in having wrath. The fact that he is not doing his wrath immediately is almost unjustified. Let's put it this way. For example, let's say I do something bad. Let's say I'm, I'm, uh, I'm walking my kids and I see my two children and they're happy walking the dog. And let's say we stopping at ice cream as if we could these days and they're happy in their ice cream. And all of a sudden I'm like, I'm just going to knock that ice cream out of their hand. And I bam, knock the ice, ice cream out of their hand. And they start crying. They're sad because I was mean. I just wanted to be mean just for the heck of it. What would the correct thing for God to do be? It would be to punish me right then and there. Bam. Punishment. You do something bad, you get punished. Okay. And then the learning cycle tightens up and everyone starts walking pretty tightly. And everyone says, don't do that because otherwise zap from heaven and you'll get zapped. Um, We know that doesn't happen. That's not how God works. He, his mercy runs in front of his justice. Let's say someone kills someone, commits an act of murder over something stupid. What would be the correct thing? Right then and there, God would take their life as well. Bam. You could even go into the preemptive thing. God knew this person would kill somebody, so let's just kill them before that even happens. And yet, that's not how God acts. That's not how God does things. Now, in some sense, I'm kind of tempted to be like, when those things do happen, it's just being added to the wrath meter, and it's like a geyser. It's getting pressure, 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 and some moment it's going to blow. That may be in the character of God, may not. However, I would say this. God's wrath definitely has a place in this world, and man, woe to those who are going to face it. Nonetheless, keep this in mind. When we talk about salvation, one of the main things we say that we are saved from, and the Bible is very clear that those who trust in the Lord, we are saved from the day of the Lord. His wrath is going to be poured out upon those who have not appealed to his mercy, who have not sought to be redeemed and be drawn close to him via his mercy. 
via his grace, via what his son has done for us, that we may have all life in him. Um, that wrath is going to be poured out upon all them that would not come to that point. So, if you're going to be saved, this is what you're being saved from, is the Lord's wrath. And trust me, if anyone can have wrath and do it well, it's going to be him. So, there's a few things about the day of the Lord that is going to happen with his wrath. And it's very clear when you read Old Testament prophecies that a lot of these things that they're calling the day of the Lord, these events, many of these events have already come and gone. Um, if you look at Joel, he talks about this thing with the locust, and it's going to happen. And then he says, after these things, my spirit will pour it out. And after that, when the day of the Lord comes, at which point you should be scratching your head to be like, well, wait a minute, let's put this timeline together. He's saying, all right, here's going to happen this day of the Lord, the locusts are going to come. After these things, my spirit will be poured out in all flesh, a.k.a. Pentecost. And then when the day of the Lord comes, it's like, whoa, wait a minute, hello, how does that work? One, I believe, is that many Old Testament prophets, beginning with Amos, uh, talking about this day of the Lord that's coming, and he was preaching to the northern kingdom of Israel at this point, where uh, Judah and Israel were separated. He's saying this day of the Lord is going to come, and you guys can be pulled out by hooks. And that really happened. The Assyrians came. They um, they put all of Israel in under siege, and they broke down the walls of the main city of Samaria, and they started a city in Samaria. I can't think it's Monday, sorry. And so they, they broke down the walls and they literally threw hooks in there and hooked people and drug them out through these holes in the wall via hooks. It was nasty. It was not good. It was an expression of the day of the Lord, of God's wrath, saying, I warned you guys, you guys are selling the needy for a pair of shoes. You guys are, are perverting justice and you're mistreating the people who need to be treated well and you're doing evil to them and you're making yourselves rich by making other people poor. And if you do not turn from your ways, this is what's going to happen to you. He's giving them a warning. He's giving them a chance to repent, but he's also laying out the condition these are the consequences for your injustice. If you do not change, this is what will happen. And we see that pattern repeated again and again and again and again all through Israel's history. <clears throat> and now, finally, the day of the Lord comes upon the northern kingdom of Israel. And they're drug off by the Assyrians. And it's this day of wrath that God pours out upon the northern kingdom, and it is destroyed completely and utterly, and everyone is drawn into exile and scattered about. Is that the complete fullness of the end-time day of the Lord, where his wrath will be poured out upon all nations? No. But it is a type, if we could say. It is a small expression of the day of the Lord that those people were living in right then and right there, and for them, trust me, it was the end of the world. I believe that when God talks about this day of the Lord, there are times when history or specific peoples or cities have gone through a day of the Lord, specifically the people of Israel. They've gone through a day of the Lord, and then that has been a type or a, an example of what's going to happen at the full, complete revelation of the day of the Lord at the end of all time. So, we have these mini day of the Lords, but all that's going to lead up to a true, full, complete day of the Lord at the end. 
<clears throat> I don't think that's a breaking of how things work. I think God many times through history reveals, hey, here's a little sample of what's coming up. And this real event that was lived out by real people in real time is really pointing towards something that's going to be revealed in completeness and fullness in the future. This is a very common theme through a lot of scriptures. Now, that does not mean that everything we live is going to be an actual event in the future. That's not the case. But in this case, where God's saying, hey, here comes this day of the Lord, here comes this moment of wrath and destruction, this is where it's going to go. Now, how is this actual day of the Lord at the very, very, very end going to play down? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, if we look at Zechariah, it seems pretty clear that he talks about, and many of the Old Testament prophets talk about, the day of the Lord is first going to be falling upon the people of Israel. Zechariah 13, 14 talks about how this day is going to happen. It's going to occur, and it's going to um, basically imply that the people of Israel are going to be attacked by other nations. When they are attacked, they will have, it's not going to be fun. It's going to be bad. If you read Zechariah, I mean, women are getting raped and, and the whole city is getting pillaged. And then at some point in the middle of all that, while the people of God are being attacked and raped and pillaged and, and destroyed by the nations, God himself is going to draw up and make war against all the other nations. And he's going to destroy them completely and wipe them off the face of the earth. So we know this is going to be something that's going to start with the people of God. I'm speaking, speaking very general terms here because I feel like this is going to apply both to Christians and, and whatnot. And then it's going to apply to the rest of the world. Now I know I just said Christians are being saved from the day of the Lord, but without getting into eschatology, let's just leave it there. Somehow, <laughs> the people of God, whether it be Israel or, or the church, are going to be in a moment where they're facing persecution via um, via the nations. And then at that point, the day of the Lord, God himself is going to show up and make war about this. We can see this in Revelation 20, where Jesus himself comes down on a horse, sword coming out of his mouth, his robes are dipped in blood, and he is going to make war against all the nations, all the nations against him, and he wins. <clears throat> and then that's really kind of the beginning of the complete end. Some people say the day of the Lord is going to be just that battle. Some people say it's going to be extended out to the millennium. I'm not going to get into eschatology right now. But nonetheless to say, there is this day that is coming where God is going to extend his wrath upon all, and it's not going to be fun. But it would appear that right before that, there's going to be a moment of a lot of persecution of the people of God who are going to be suffering greatly at the hands of everyone else in the world. That the world itself is going to rise up against the people of God and cause them to suffer greatly. Now, with all that, the big question becomes, how can we be saved from the day of the Lord? How does this work out? And this came to me actually just a, a couple of weeks ago, maybe two, three weeks ago. Um, I was, it was Lent. And I guess I'm, it's more than two or three weeks ago. Uh, it was Lent, so maybe a month or so ago. And for Lent, I had done something very simple. I gave up coffee. And I typically don't drink coffee, but man, I, I started drinking coffee recently. I've been in the office a lot more, and I'm like, I think I'll start drinking coffee. It's kind of good. It gives me a break during the day. Excuse me, get up and 
stretch my legs and whatnot. And so I've been drinking coffee, and then I realized, ah, I'm going to give up coffee for Lent because I'm getting kind of addicted to this. So I decided to give up coffee for Lent. Something very, very basic, very simple, and I haven't done anything really in regards to anything for the longest time since I came to the States because we've just been behind and actually engage in any any sort of calendar-type observations (laughs) of spiritual activities has been nil. And so maybe this is my first time to try to dabble back into that. So I gave up coffee. And then it was tough at first. It's like, oh, man, I like getting up and so I'll just drink water. And uh, I just start to miss coffee. A few weeks go by, and it's easier every day. But there's one time I walked by, and someone had just got a coffee, and it smelled so good. I was like, oh, man, when, when is Lent going to be over so I can have coffee? And I thought, that's a really bad thought, actually. You know, that, that's a really horrible, horrible thought. And I said, Lord, forgive me for being so just carnal, thinking about, oh, man, why can't I just get back into coffee? Because that's not the idea. The idea is that I'm actually fasting and I'm thinking about what you suffered so that we can have life. <clears throat> and I don't know why God blessed me in that very moment. <laughs> but it, it, I think he revealed something to me. And it was completely out of the blue. I was not really thinking about the day of the Lord. But it just came to me that I can have coffee, that I can live, that I can be part of this life, and I don't deserve it. I don't really earn it by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not worth it. But Jesus loves us so greatly and fully that he faced the day of the Lord for us that we would not have to. That Jesus, through his crucifixion, was actually living out the day of the Lord in our place. He was facing the full wrath of the nations against him that we would not have to. Um, there are many times that people say when the darkness fell over the land, when Jesus was on the cross, is because there was so much sin on him that God had to turn his face away, as it says in one of the contemporary songs that goes around. I would beg to differ. Again, I do not believe that sin causes God to go away. You can't grab sin and run around and chase God out like it's some piece of kryptonite chasing out uh, Superman. That's not how it works. Sin in the presence of God is completely devoured. It's undone. God's holiness undoes sin. And if you are in possession of sin when you come before God, you will become undone. It's not that God's going to be in a bad spot. It's you're going to be in a bad spot. And maybe out of mercy... He refrains from getting too close to us because he knows it would undo us completely. Um, Nonetheless, when we see this darkness, I don't think that darkness means a lack of God's presence. I think it means even more of God's presence than anything else. Remember, God's not scared of the dark. God created the heavens and the earth. And before that, well, it says he created the light. Where was he before he created the light? In the dark. So, God's not scared of the dark. It's not like there's anything that's going to scare God or make him go away. The darkness there is even sometimes reminiscent of, remember, when um, God showed up on Mount Sinai. There was darkness there, and there was thunder, and there was clouds, and everyone was freaked out. And so we see also this darkness. I don't think is a sign of all the sin in the world. I think it's more of the sign of the presence of God there. It was essentially a mini day of the Lord that he himself was going through. Now, whether he was pouring out his own wrath on his own son, or whether he was just allowing his son to receive the the wrath of the nations, I'm not going to get into that right now. But I would say 
that Jesus faced a moment of complete and utter torment, a complete and utter uh, abuse on our behalf that we might be saved from that. And so, I don't know, that, that kind of impacted me. Maybe it's a blessing to you, maybe it's not. But to me, it just seems that, wow, <clears throat> we can truly be saved from the day of the Lord because our Lord has already gone through it. And he will come through on the very end to complete it entirely and fully, but his justice will be poured out. And I don't think it's going to be necessarily a vengeance just because, oh, you stepped on my toe, so I'm going to step back on your toe and take off your entire foot. I think it's going to be more of, you have done wrong to my people who I love greatly, deeply, truly, fully. I've extended my love out to you, always. And what have you done with it? Nothing. You've rejected it constantly, and you've mistreated my children. One of the things I always talk about um, with people in Venezuela, and people looking for vengeance, because people they cared about and they loved have been killed or mistreated, I said, listen, leave the vengeance to God. He knows how to avenge much better than anyone else. Trust me, he does. You may think of some way to avenge it, but that's not good enough. God knows much better how to avenge it. Because the truth is, we are all God's children. However, if I'm a father and I see one of my children attacking and gravely hurting and injuring and killing my other children, do you think I'm just going to let it slide? Absolutely not. I'm going to do something to try to make it happen. To try to make it stop. I still love them, but it will get to the point where I say, no, I'm sorry, you can no longer (laughs) keep doing this. Uh, David with Absalom, which is an interesting example, kind of comes to mind, where his son is doing a lot of bad things, and yet he pauses, he does not act, which we can talk about for another time, but at the end of the day, um, justice does prevail against him, and he's still sad, he's still sad over what uh, his son has done and the fact that he loses his son. I feel like that's going to happen at some point as well. God will exact his justice against the world, against the systems of the world and the people who are completely aligned with those systems and they re- they reject God completely. His justice will be poured out upon them. But I know it's not going to be without ugh, just complete rending of his heart. And I think he was willing to face that first, to lose his own son first before... Um, meeting out his own justice at the same time. So that's the day of the Lord. It's coming. It's big. And it may be that what we're living right now is a small little mini day of the Lord. I don't think so. This doesn't really have a lot of the characteristics of the day of the Lord. If you want to go back and read what the day of the Lord's really like, go back, read Amos. Uh, You can read Joel. You can read uh, kind of the last parts of Zechariah. And then I'll give you a very good idea of what the day of the Lord, these mini event day of the Lord uh, were like for the people living there. I don't think that what we're going through right now is anything reminiscent of the day of the Lord. If you want to see what's coming up, you can read Revelation and then I'll give you a good idea. Trust me, we're not anywhere near that. No, no, no. Yes, we do need to keep our eyes open, but no, we're not anywhere close to to what's explained in Revelation. Can it happen soon? Absolutely. Can it happen in a thousand years? Absolutely. But the idea is we need to be vigilant and aware and God will watch over us. But more than anything else, we need to trust in God. We need to trust in his mercy for us. Believe in him. Turn to him. Do good. Do good in all things. Show justice. Show love. So Show his uh, mercy and kindness upon all that we may um, help all to avoid this terrible thing that's coming that is the day of the Lord. So, 
With that, be blessed, be filled. We're going to have a break next week, no podcast next week, and then we'll be coming up in two weeks, and we're going to be talking about the theme of violence, and we're going to get into that whole topic, and that's going to take us a while, and I'll explain why we're getting into that in the introduction. Be blessed, do good, share, help those who are in need. There are many, um, and let's pray a lot for our leaders to make wise decisions about how to open, when to open. Uh, pray for those who are in need because there's a lot of people who are still going hungry in many parts of the world and even this country. So let's be praying for them always. Let's be providing for them. And let's look for ways to do that. If you want, if you want to do that, trust me, I know lots of people that can <laughs> use it. Lots. So if you want to be part of that, get a hold of me, write me on Facebook or something, and we can go from there. All right. Be blessed. Stay strong. Seek the Lord. Do good in all things.